This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. We talked about the riots on Capitol Hill. Well, this week was a week like none other in American history. Tuesday, December 1st, Gabriel Sterling, who was the voting systems implementation manager for the state of Georgia, in a very emotional press conference, said, if these claims about the election being stolen continue, somebody's going to get hurt, somebody's going to get shot, somebody's going to get killed. All of it happened in the last place on earth that I thought it would happen. Coming up in this episode of Colors... Sugar and spice and everything nice. That's what little white girls are made of. While black girls are more likely to be suspended from school, seen as more promiscuous, and less likely to be believed when sexually assaulted. Tough reality for black girls. Seven times more likely to report having uh, been suspended, uh, four times more likely to report having been expelled, and three times more likely to report that they were referred to law enforcement for their behaviors. Stephanie Gaines Bryant, news anchor at WTOP, and Sydney McKinney, executive director of the National Black Women's Justice Institute, break down the problem and discuss solutions. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. And I'm white. I'm JJ Green, and I'm black. And this is Colors. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Well, it's a calmer week than it was last week, isn't it? So I yeah. guess I'm doing okay for now. Yeah, it is a really interesting week here, and uh, I'm assuming it's going to be quite interesting for uh, the time being for a good while to come. But you know, there are a lot of a lot of things being tested right now, including America's resolve, the, the its resolve as a nation. Um, you know, there are lots of different um, groups and uh, people that have weighed in on what happened at the Capitol. We talked last week about the difference between the response to the Capitol riot and the Black Lives Matter protest. But um, today we have another uh, another part of this uh, look at how America does things differently. And our colleague, Stephanie Gaines Bryant, brilliant journalist, someone I've known for a very long time, who is an excellent person as well. She wrote to me not too long ago, and she was very concerned about black girls and how black girls are treated differently. Stephanie is with us now. Stephanie, thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Would you please tell our audience what you told me? or some version of it, what your concern was uh, when you wrote to me about the situation. 
My concern is that black girls don't matter. I'm a black woman and I'm also the mother of a, a 20 year old uh, black girl and I have three boys as well. But particularly um, what I've seen, what I've experienced over the years is black girls are seen a little bit differently than white girls. They're seen as not being quite as innocent is their white counterparts. They're more likely to be suspended from school. They're more likely to be seen as quote unquote fast, meaning sexually active before they should be. They're seen as not being quite as attractive as black girls, where uh, little white girls are seen as sugar and spice and everything nice. Little black girls are the first ones to be accused of something. So I, I'm just concerned about how black girls are being perceived. And I, I, I just thought that would be a great uh, issue for you to deal with. Well, it is a great issue. And let me just ask you one quick follow up question. Give me your experience as a black girl growing up. What was your experience? Um, I grew up in New Jersey. And I am number six of seven children, and uh, it's three uh, boys and four girls. And as I just mentioned, I was number six. And we grew up in a predominantly white area, meaning my high school was 90% white and 10% black. Yet the community we lived in was all black. There was a black section on one side, a black section on the other, and then the large white section in between. And I've just seen that throughout my life, not getting the same opportunities. And I'm not angry about it. I think I turned out okay. But the reason um, I went to a historically black college was to get a, that black experience that I did not get during my growing up years. And that's how JJ and I know each other. We both went to Hampton. But that was one of the main reasons I went to Hampton was to get an experience where I saw different types of black people, where we weren't the underdogs. I get to this place and, and see all of these what are to me appear to be upscale African-American, something I had never seen before. Mm -hmm. My father uh, is a landscaper, a gardener, and my mother was a nurse's aide. And we grew up in a working class household. So I go to Hampton and see all of these, you know, what, what are considered upscale blacks whose moms and dads are doctors and lawyers and, and, and accountants and things like that. It, it instilled a sense of pride in me, a sense of excellence in me, um, like nothing I'd ever experienced before. Um, OK, so go ahead. I'm sorry, Chris. No, I, that's, I'm, I'm fascinated by the conversation. My my one question, Stephanie, is when you, you talk about because you have boys, too, as you said, um, that black girls are treated um, less favorably than white girls, but are black boys not treated less favorably than white boys? I mean, is there a difference just simply because they're female as opposed to male when you talk about likelihood of getting suspended or likelihood of being sexually active or any other discriminatory practice? Uh, can you explain in more depth to me the difference between whether you're a little black boy or a little black girl when it comes to that? 
I think if you look at the research, you will see, unfortunately, more attention has been paid to the plight of black boys than to what happens with black girls. You see lots of studies about black boys and, and how fatherlessness has impacted them. The number of, of uh, uh, African-American males who end up in prison uh, before the age of 25. There's lots of documentation, lots of studies on that. But those same issues, uh, the, the fatherlessness, uh, the, the incarceration rates, they impact black girls as well. But black girls are simply ignored. It's almost like, well, she's going to be okay. And we've always had to fight dueling stereotypes from slavery times. We're, we've always had these uh, stereotypes were either the mammy, who is asexual, or the Jezebel who is hypersexual. But when it comes to, and, and I don't want to say anything disparaging about my, my black brothers, but the research is just not there for black girls like it is black boys. You see schools for black boys and helping them develop and, and other, but, but we don't have quite the same thing. We don't get quite the same focus. Yet those 100-year-old, 200-year-old rather, stereotypes are still with us. Mm. So what do you think, Stephanie, we should do as a nation about this? I, there's got to be some way to change the perception. As, as an example, my family and I, we were uh, sometimes on Sunday afternoons, we'll watch a, a, a series. So we were watching this series about this black football player who came from the hood and he um, started living with this coach who was wealthy living in Los Angeles and how he just saw the other side of the tracks. And, and the, the, horrible thing or the thing that I noticed most of all about the series, it was good. It was kind of cheeky, but the black girls who were the hot black girls looked closer to white. They were the lighter skinned girls with the long hair and the slim bodies. And we've got to change our perception of what beauty is, what success is. And, and I've heard a lot of young black boys. I was so hurt a couple of years ago. I have a cousin in Detroit and his mother said that he prefers white girls because he thinks they're more attractive. Even though he has a black mother, black cousins, black aunts, black uncles, but it's been somehow drilled in his head that white is beautiful. White is more pure. White is right. I have a, I have a reason to ask you this question, which may seem off topic, but I'll bring it back so it's not. Uh, Stephanie, how do you feel about single sex education? I would prefer that the child, that my children, I would prefer that they had a, a more mixed um, environment. Uh, it, it, they should be able to learn with males and females. I see the purpose in it, but for my children, I definitely prefer them being in a mixed environment. As a matter of fact, right now, um, my son just got accepted to Howard University 
And speaking of, this is a little kind of off the, the path as well, but he got accepted to Howard. And at first I had some reservations about that because I want him to be in an environment that's male, female, black, white, because the world isn't all black, even though I went to an HBCU. So it, I, I, want, I want my children to have exposure to males, females, blacks, whites, Asians, Indians. I want them to have a well-integrated education because the world is not black. And in high school, they did. They went to a very diverse high school. Well, the, re the reason I ask you that question is I only have one child, a daughter, uh, and she went to an all-girls school for from first grade through uh, 12th grade. Then when she went to university, she went to a university with a big mixture like you're talking about. But then now she's a teacher. And after doing two years in the Peace Corps, where it was a mixed classroom with boys and girls, she is now taught at two all girls schools. And one thing about that all girls school where she went to most of her you know, 12 years of schooling is they teach those girls. There's nothing that they can't do. It is drilled into them that. You're you're just as smart. You're just as powerful. There's nothing you can't do. Don't let any boy ever tell you that. And that's drilled into the point of second nature for her. So when she teaches girls at both schools in New York where she's where she's taught, she drills that into them. And I you know, that that's the reason I ask it in, because I think. When the when girls are told over and over again by their teachers, you know, you are special. Uh, you are you are equal. You can do anything anybody else can do. I think they really get that. I agree. I agree. Well, Stephanie, um, any final thoughts? We got to run. But any final thoughts? Um, I just uh, want to make sure that. We do have educators because uh, that's very important that we do have educators that are celebrities, which our kids look up to so much. The people who they are influenced by that they show a positive example of black womanhood, that we are not those stereotypes that we've been fighting for hundreds of years. Well, Stephanie Gaines Bryant, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being a our colleague all these years and certainly someone I've known since the college days. And I do remember you as <laughs> a, young, a young Stephanie Gaines Bryant at Hampton University. Uh, but thank you very much. We appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. Thanks Stephanie. for inviting me, guys. You're listening to Colors. My name is Michael Williams. I'm an African-American. I'm born and raised in Washington, D.C., and I currently live in Washington, working as a journalist for Voice of America and a number of other news outlets. My parents moved north from segregated South Carolina to escape the possibility of a lynch mob ending their lives for the most trivial of, trivial of reasons. It could have been anything. And they came north and they achieved their dreams. Uh, they sent their kids to high schools and colleges. Uh, I was the first African-American to go from kindergarten through 12th grade, a lifer at Sidwell Friends School. Um, my brothers and sisters have achieved wonderful things and raised wonderful families. And both of my parents lived great lives of service. My mother is a nurse and my father in the State Department and in the military. They are both in Arlington Cemetery, the nation's hall of fame. And I'm very proud of that fact. But when I look at a lynch mob that they escaped in South Carolina 
basically coming to Washington, D.C. and overtaking the Capitol. It chills me to the bone. And they're not alive to see it, but I know that they would have wanted to stand their ground and fight for it. And I hope that that is what happens um, in the future. The thing that gives me hope is that my son is half African-American, half Austrian. And on one side of his lineage, just two generations away, are Nazis. And on the other side are sharecroppers and slaves. But that boy is, that man, that young man, is one of the nicest people, the smartest, most heartfelt, loving, intelligent people you'll ever want to meet. And I know that if the descendant of Nazis and slaves can turn out that well, there must be hope for us all. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Well, you know, we've talked to Stephanie Gaines Bryant, one of our colleagues, about her concerns about how black girls are perceived. And she spoke specifically about how black girls are often uh, treated differently and in many, many cases, many ways punished for just being kids, being girls, black girls. Sydney McKinney is joining us right now, and she is a great person to have on this program she is with the National Black Women's Justice Institute, and she is the executive director. Did I get your title right? Yes, you did. Sydney, thank you for being with us. I want to ask you, what do you think about that assessment by our colleague, uh, Stephanie Gaines Bryant, about black girls being treated differently? And what are your views on how that happens? Mm-hmm. I think she's got it. Exactly right. Uh, It is what is happening to black girls in our schools. Uh, A lot of the work that we have done has shown exactly that. Uh, In 2018, we produced a report that showed that in schools, black girls are seven times more likely to report having uh, been suspended, uh, four times more likely to report having been expelled, and three times more likely to report that they were referred to law enforcement for their behaviors. Uh, And the research shows that Black girls are not behaving differently than other young people in schools, but schools are disciplining them more harshly for their behaviors. Uh, And it's because of our biases and the ways that we perceive Black girls that uh, the the response is harsher treatment for, just as your colleague said, behaviors that are developmentally appropriate and normal for all young people. Well, may, may I clarify that a little bit? Because this is still the part I'm wrestling with. Uh, you say that they are, did you say seven times more likely to get suspended and mm-hmm. get in trouble? Is that more than white girls or more than black boys? More than white girls. So it gets back to a question that I had with Stephanie as well, is that it, we know that there is discrimination and that white boys get breaks that black boys do not. And of course, the same thing is true then for females as well. But is this a black white issue more than it's a sex issue? Uh, it's it's both a race issue and a gender issue. I think what's different for black girls is uh, what we have seen in our, our research is that um, teachers actually perceive 
black girls as having more adult-like qualities than their peers. Uh, we call that adultification. And the way that plays out is their expectations of the ways that black girls will behave in classrooms is different than their expectations of other students. The assumption and the belief is that black girls should, because they're more adult-like, uh, be able to manage their behavior should be less disruptive. And so when they are not conforming to that expectation, the disciplinary response is harsher. So would clearly- Why are they perceived as being more grown up? Um, you know, it's an interesting question. Um, I don't think we really know the answer to that, but I think, it, you know, it's deeply embedded in people's implicit biases around our expectations of, of, of black of black girls. I mean, we could also ask the question, why do we think that black people are more inclined to in, uh, engage in crime than other folks? It's it's based on these myths that we've created about black people yeah. and that we just carry forward in other parts of our lives. Yeah, a lot of it is stereotypical. And it's, mm-hmm. it's the rest of us or the rest of America or people, their perceptions and their understandings, their misunderstandings and misperceptions, actually, that lead to this. Uh, Sydney, the National Black Women's Justice Institute, according to your uh, material that's uh, on your website and, and other places, aims to eliminate racial and gender disparities in the U.S. criminal legal system. Um, and 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 they 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 have a disproportionate impact on black women and girls. And I'm wondering, what has your research told you about the tackling that? What has your research told you about your quest? How hard it's going to be? What are you up against? Well. Uh, We're up against a lot. Uh, I think the biggest challenge we face uh, is that um, Black girls and girls in general uh, who who are impacted by the criminal legal system um, are such a small percentage of the overall population. So what happens is people say, well, why do we need to care if Black girls are such a small percentage. Um, And, you know, we say that it's important because their experiences are uniquely different because of their gender identities. So our work has really focused on trying to understand the ways in which um, the intersection and the interaction of uh, one's racial identity and one's gender identity is uh, creating greater risk of contact with our criminal legal system for black girls um, and other girls of color and also for gender nonconforming youth. Uh, And and we've really been looking at different programming, um, such as there's this wonderful program uh, in the Bay Area called Emerge, which offers an alternative to an education program for system impacted black girls. And their model of education is fundamentally different from the model of education that we see in public schools. Uh, It's really focused on creating a trauma-informed and gender-responsive and culturally affirming environment. Uh, And what we've seen there is that girls are far more uh, excited about being in school and wanting to learn and and confident about what their uh, future abilities and outcomes will be. Uh, Whereas when they were in public schools, they had no interest in being in Mm -hmm. the classroom, feeling like, you know, 
teachers didn't care about them, teachers weren't invested with them. So what was the point? Uh, so we really have to work um, and think differently about what education looks like and how we are supporting young people in our schools. Now, let me ask you. Let me ask this quick follow up. Um, does your organization have interaction with uh, black girls as a part of your work? Or, you know, obviously, since you are African-American women, you know, you have your own direct experiences with being a black girl. Um, But I'm wondering, does your organization have direct experience or interactions with black girls as subjects of your work? Uh, And I'm also interested in hearing if they're different perceptions if their perceptions differed based on where they live. Like, I know your organization is bi-coastal. You're on the West Coast and on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we do. We have a youth advisory committee for one of the projects that we're working on. It's called the Trauma-Informed Learning Network for Girls of Color. Um, and the aim of that project is to help educators make their school environments more trauma-informed since we know um, that um, particularly uh, for girls who are impacted by the criminal legal system and schools as a pathway to that um, have experienced a lot of trauma. Uh, What we've heard from uh, the young women on our youth advisory committee, um, their stories are surprisingly very similar. Uh, We have girls of different ages from 15 to um, 21 who end in college. And many of them describe just feeling and uh, that that they couldn't trust their schools, that everyone was against them. and, 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 and had experiences of being unfairly disciplined by their teachers. Um, one of the young people who is part of this committee tells this, you know, just horrific story of going to school one day and being pulled aside by her teacher who felt that her dress that day, her, her, the clothes she was wearing was inappropriate and violated the school dress code because there were holes in her jeans. Uh, as a, the response was to tape cardboard to her clothes that day, um, the uh. girl so humiliated mm. took off the cardboard and the option was either walk around with cardboard today or go home. She opted to go home. Um, So these are some of the experiences that girls are having. Um, I know it sounds uh, pretty extreme, but it is not. These are normal and sadly very commonplace. How how old was this girl you're speaking of? Uh, She is a freshman in college. So it happened while she's a freshman in college, but it happened to her in high school. So I think she was probably maybe a a sophomore or junior in high school. At the the risk of of getting into a topic we touched on with Stephanie as well. um, Do you favor single sex education where the girl where girls go to school with just girls? Uh, you know, that's really outside of the scope of my expertise and, and, and the work that we do. Uh, we're really concerned about making schools safer for everyone. And I think you well, can do that with girls and boys and gender nonconforming youth all in the same same the, environment. I agree with you. We can. But I, I think this makes it easier. My, as I mentioned, my, my daughter went for uh, 12 years to an all girls school. And when she went to college, which was, um, you know, everybody, she was shocked at the lack of confidence uh, and the lack of empowerment 
that some of her classmates had who had gone to public schools or had gone to schools, even if they were private, where there were boys and girls, because at her school, she was taught girls could do anything that boys can do. And there is no difference. And you are the name of school was Stone Ridge. You're a Stone Ridge girl. You can do anything. And they believe that. And they came out with a world of confidence that that a lot of graduates don't have who didn't come out with this sense of empowerment. And she saw the real difference in um, in, when she went to college. And as a result, she's a teacher now and she teaches at an all girls school because she really does believe that that gives women of all colors a certain sense of empowerment they don't get when they are in in a classroom situation with boys. Just a thought. I mean, I think I've seen research that's that uh, is consistent with what your daughter's experience has been. But, you know, the girls who are in our youth advisory committee, those are girls who are going to take over the world as far as I'm concerned. And (laughs) they are in schools with boys. And so, you know, I think it is much more about how we are are. what we're instilling in girls and we can, we need to be instilling that confidence in them, no matter what situation and what kind of educational environment they're in. Uh, The challenges that black girls are having is that they are not getting that kind of support from teachers. And that is what we need to change about our, our schools in general, right? Everyone, all young people should leave school high school feeling the way that your daughter felt. And there's no reason why our public schools can't do that. Well, Sydney, um, before we go, I want to talk to you very briefly about your your life. Um, did you have any experiences that shaped you and made this choice of a vocation for you more obvious? Or did something take place in your life that steered you towards this? work with the National Black Women's Justice Institute, which we'd like to hear a little more about as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, <laughs> the answer is definitely yes. <laughs> um, my One of my earliest memories is actually um, visiting my uncle in prison. Um, I did not know at the time that is where I was, um, but I learned much later when I was, you know, asking my mom about this kind of strange experience that always uh, kind of sit with, sit, sat with me oddly, um, that that's where I was, that I was not at work with him. I was in this visitation room with him um, and many other men and all of their families surrounding them. So I am a person whose life has been directly and personally impacted by uh, the harms of incarceration. And so I really come to this work with that personal experience and wanting very deeply to prevent other individuals and families and communities, our communities from experiencing the harm that incarceration inflicts upon us. Um, My work at the National Black Women's Justice Institute um, is related to that directly. And also, you know, as a Black woman living a life and and often feeling marginalized in spaces, I really connected to the mission of this organization, which is to center and uplift Black women and girls and gender nonconforming people who are directly impacted by the criminal legal system. Um, So often when we are talking about mass incarceration, we are talking about it almost singly through a lens of racial injustice. Uh, But 
It is also a gender justice issue, and that's what we're bringing to the fore. Uh, and I'm so excited and proud of the work that we do to shift and change this conversation uh, around you know, what the criminal legal system in our country should look like moving forward. Can I ask how old, how old were you when, they, when you went to visit your uncle in jail? Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I don't know. I feel like I was probably around four. I was pretty yeah. young. Um, you know, I just remember everything feeling quite large. And, and you know, it was, I think, the first time I actually met him because I remember being dressed up. It was it was a, a pretty significant event, I think, for my mom. She was very concerned about it, obviously, because she didn't want me to know kind of where I was, but also really wanted me to meet her brother. Hmm. Well, Sydney, the work you're doing is invaluable. We thank you for being so engaged and so capable and your organization for taking on this task because black girls are absolutely one of the cornerstones of this nation. And we need to make sure that they're nurtured, cared for and supported in every way. And what you're doing is is just magnificent. And that's a part of the mission here at, at Colors. To make sure that we address that and deal with that. And thank you for coming on to be with us. I would, I would like to point out that a certain black girl is about to become vice president of the United States. So we've made <laughs> a little bit of progress. Oh, definitely. It's, it's very exciting. And I know that for you know black girls around the country, it is this it's important symbol that we have not had for at that of what we can accomplish in this country. And so at a moment in the U.S. that is as crazy as it is, it is it is uh, a shining and bright star. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sydney, for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. All right, JJ, I'd like to close with something that was written by one of my daughter's uh, fourth grade students. Uh, she happens to be black. Fourth grade means she's what, nine, 10 years old. It's called Say Something. It's a poem. I'm scared. I don't know what will happen. It's dark and cold. The violence is too much. The hatred is too much. I'm still a child. Why is there so much chaos? When black boys are killed, we need to say something. When children are killed, we need to say something. When police officers are killed, we need to say something. And when we don't say something, we're saying something. We're saying we don't care. Instead of helping, we record. Instead of saying we need to come together as a community, we bystand like wimps. Are you black? Are you white? Aren't we all the same inside? Why are so many people dying? Can't you see? The world will fall if America falls. We need to unite as a country. We need to say something. We need to fight. Wow. How old was she? I guess nine or ten, fourth grade. Oh, my God. You know what? That was absolutely beautiful. I think so, too. That is absolutely. I don't think anybody could have said what she was saying any better any differently age you know bar none right i agree that is absolutely amazing very smart kid very astute how do you feel about it i have contacted my daughter and asked if she would record it for us if if the girl who wrote it will record it then we can play it within her voice on another episode so we'll see what happens 
I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. And this is Colors. If you have any questions or comments or criticisms or show suggestions or thoughts you want to share with us, anything you want to say, respectfully, hit us up. We're at The Colors Podcast, one word, at gmail.com. That's The Colors Podcast at gmail.com. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. The difference in the police response to the Black Lives Matter protest and USA! 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 The Capitol riot. There's been a lot of complaining. So what happened? We will drill down into it and get some great insight. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. Time to go again. Thank you, Audrey Henson, Mark Recton, Liz Anderson, Robin Terry, Guadalupe Correra Cabrera, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Greg Strassel. Thanks to Deanna Howell, Hillary Howard, Sean Anderson. Thank you, Mike Jakaitis, Dimitri Sotis, Earl Robinson, Kenny Robinson. For the music, we want to thank Jesse Gallagher and Cosmic and Asher Fulero. And of course, most of all, thank you to you for listening. We really appreciate you. And remember, as we go, just keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.